machine shops at Cerritos College showcase some of the modern world's most advanced systems. They're training welders, machinists, automotive technicians, composite manufacturers, all for jobs Southern California holds in design thinking, user experiences, with an endless opportunity for entrepreneurial pursuits. As enrollment at the state's community colleges begins to rebound from historic declines, my guests on this episode of Future Groove, Nick Rial and Kelly Cooper, discuss how learners at any age can take advantage of increased flexibility to earn college credit while gaining a competitive edge in university admissions and setting themselves up for financial security in the workforce. I'm your host, John Harris, and this is Future Groove. Well, welcome, Nick Rial and Kelly Cooper, two of my favorite people in terms of thought partners and thinking about uh, the future as the uh, podcast is named Future Groove. We're trying to uh, talk about the future of work and preparing young people in order to be highly successful in finding their passions and their purpose uh, in the in the workforce while meeting many of the economic challenges that uh, we face in the coming years. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to begin really kind of with, with the story. Both of you are in higher ed in the community college space. And I've known both of you for uh, a number of years now, I think. And I know a little bit about kind of where you started. I think Kelly and I grew up in the same city. We didn't know each other, but I think we went to the same uh, ice cream store and probably ran into each other and didn't even know that when we were young. And and Nick, we've interacted here and there because Cerritos College is a community college partner, a regional partner for uh, the Downey Unified School District, which is my current position as director of college and career readiness. But I'm not sure I know a lot about the story, the stories kind of in between in terms of how you got to this place where uh, you're passionate about preparing students for the future in the career technical education space. And uh, I want to know a little bit uh, more about your journey from from your youth to where you are now and supporting these uh, highly effective and, and much needed programs. I think maybe we'll start with, uh, with Kelly, if you would give us a little bit of background in terms of how you got into CTE and then we'll, uh, we'll to Nick. Well, honestly, John, it never dawned on me to not be in CTE. My grandparents were electricians and lumberjacks. My parents worked in real estate and in the building trades, and we always did well and worked together. It was a great combination of working as business people and working with our hands, working outside, working inside, whether that be building houses or selling houses or flipping houses before they called it that. And we always celebrated this kind of entrepreneurship slash maker perspective. It wasn't until I got into college that I realized some people didn't follow that path. And then when I was in my 20s, I worked in the building business and then I ran a lumber yard when I was almost 30. I ended up going into teaching because I had kids and uh, the construction business is a very early in the morning business, as is taking kids to school. And 
when I got into education to have more availability as a parent, I started teaching full-time. And it's only then that I learned that there are kind of two sides, this academic side and the CTE side, which never really made sense to me because if you're going to college or a university, it's because you want to do something as your life's work or you want to do something where you're going to make a living at that. And I think that culturally, somehow in the 80s and 90s and in later years, it became this division of you're going to go in one direction or another, which just truthfully never made sense to me. So I preferred to stay where people were makers and where they were running businesses and where there was a lot of equity, a lot of talent and creating infrastructures and driving forklifts and and building and wiring and welding and, and all of these things to really build neighborhoods and families and communities. And uh, honestly, as a teacher, it was also much more interesting for me to be in CTE because I, as a person who grew up in the trades, I, I absolutely cannot imagine teaching like one section of macro and one section of micro every day for 20 years. I mean, CTE is all about new and learning and innovating and moving with the times and making money and hiring people and having potlucks and barbecues. And it's just, I think it's an amazing, amazing career. So it wasn't John, something that I logically thought of my 25 years, and it tells me why would somebody logically not think of it as much as anything? So that really resonates with me. Both my grandfather and my father were auto mechanics. And so I grew up uh, in my teenage years working on cars uh, with my dad in my, at my grandfather's uh, house, actually at a large garage. And uh, I think in the course of time, we changed out three engines, overhauled, I don't know how many engines with ring jobs and all of that kind of stuff. And so I was, uh, that working with my hands was no stranger uh, to me. And then uh, ended up getting uh, pulled into the academic side of things and then eventually education through uh, a not so intentional route as uh, I'm discovering from a lot of people that uh, the pursuing of a career oftentimes uh, involves not a straight line, but uh, a lot of curves and turns and discoveries along the way. And uh, I think perhaps maybe in CTE, we're attempting to be a little more intentional. Nick, tell us your story. Uh, was it an intentional straight line uh, directly to where you are right now, or was it uh, a little bit different? Well, it's a uh, similar background as you guys, because um, both my dad, my grandfather, my great-grandfather were all steel workers. You were working in a steel mill in northern France. And uh, in France, when you're 14 years old, you can go through the academic track or more the technical track. So actually, my dad was quite proud that I qualified to go to high school because none of them had attended high school. And I ended up in a technical high school where you do an apprenticeship at the same time as you do kind of like the minimum requirements to graduate from high school. So that's kind of how I got started. At 17, I got my first job offer as a CNC machinist uh, in um, automobile factory. But again, my father said, uh, Mark, since you've done well, why don't you go to community college? So I did that and uh, it worked well. Uh, and that's why, you know, when I hear about the two tracks, I think you can go between the two tracks and you can get your general ed and then go in CTE or you can get the CTE and then go to the general ed. Because when I went to community colleges, when I realized I was actually pretty good at, at the general education, 
And eventually I transferred to an engineering school in Germany where I got my degree. And my first job was here in the United States, actually in Santa Fe Springs down the street as an aerospace uh, engineer designing ground support equipment for what used to be McDonnell Douglas in Long Beach. Uh, So that's been my journey. After that, I got a couple of other engineering jobs and I came into education almost by chance. You know, there was a person that was doing the training for dealers and distributors and he just got sick and there were people flying from all over the country for this event that we had. And my boss said, you're it. So I went for two days explaining how the system worked. And, and I got really good feedback, you know, because of my engineering background, I was able to explain to people the why as true, uh, when they troubleshoot something, they need to do this and need to do that. And I really enjoyed it. I started working part-time, uh, and eventually got my job full-time here at Shadows College teaching machine tool technology, physics, electronics, uh, remedial math, remedial physics, a variety of of topics, and I have to say I've enjoyed it every every single day. Your comment about uh, both you and Kelly's comment about the uh, dividing of students between those kids that are going to college and those that aren't, sort of the academic versus the working with your hands uh, kind of d- dichotomy, uh, seems to be, in my mind, a false dichotomy. Like, we really should not be identifying students as students that are going to college and students that aren't, but rather asking them the questions about what they're passionate about, what would they like to do eventually, give them some experiences so that they can uh, really make that decision in an informed way. There's been a number of students that I've seen that have gone into a hands-on uh, pathway and uh, and concluded, oh my goodness, I don't, I, I didn't know it was this. This this really isn't for me. And that's a really important discovery uh, as well. As I think about, and we're talking about the workforce and the current California economy and uh, the work, the needs in the workforce, what are the needs and the challenges and quite frankly, the opportunities uh, as they relate to preparing youth for their future? You have some thoughts, Nick, about that? Well, what's interesting is most people probably don't know that Southern California has one of the most dense network of advanced manufacturing companies. You know, like when you ask someone, uh, when they think about Southern California, they may think about the movies, they may think about the beach, they may think about tourism. But in reality, because of the background in aerospace, in satellite, you know, in rocketry and all that, there's actually a whole lot of companies that are doing advanced manufacturing. So I was personally surprised when I first came here that there were that many jobs, you know, coming from another country and that there were so many more than in other parts of the United States. You know, I think most people would think it's in Detroit or it's in Chicago or something like that, but actually it's in Southern California. So as of today, you know, there's still plenty of jobs for students interested in in the trades. And um, it's mostly in advanced manufacturing, you know, the, the basic manufacturing of 30 years ago, that's been automated or that's been exported to other countries. And the jobs that remain are very interesting and provide good opportunities for students. Kelly, what was your experience in Central California and in the Bay Area, uh, talking about a, a wider look at the entire state? Focus, Nick is focused on Southern California. Do you have some thoughts about other areas in California? Yes, and I'll, I'll use advanced manufacturing again as an example because 
it's kind of fun to see how things work across the state. And it's very similar. So if you are a high school student or a community college student working in advanced manufacturing classes and developing those skill sets, that's the quickest way actually to blend the two paths of CTE and academia. Because in the Bay Area, there's a lot of manufacturing that goes on in a different way. It has more to do with um, servers or all of the companies that are related to the tech industry. However, advanced manufacturing, machine shops, et cetera, are a critical element to that set. So let's just say I'm a student and I go to high school and I'm taking advanced manufacturing courses, but I want to be an engineer. Well, if I want to go directly into a university to be an engineer, then I need to qualify for direct entry to calculus. And so I might have that, but if I do, I'm going to be a small percentage of the high school students. If I want, I can go into the community college and in smaller classes, I can complete my math sequence while I'm working. And if I go directly into community college with no advanced manufacturing and learn advanced manufacturing in the community college, it's the same thing. So in actuality, if you look at what happens by the time that student is 30, whether that student wants to continue to work in a machine shop or own a machine shop or whether that student wants to be an engineer at one of the tech companies in the Bay Area or in Central California in agriculture, big ag, the time spent with the hands-on so builds a foundation for understanding engineering problems, failure analysis, purchasing, supply chain challenges, which countries offer this as a strength, which countries offer that as a strength for importing goods and services. What ends up happening is whether you want to stay in a hands-on mode or whether you want to be an entrepreneur or whether you want to be an engineer, those foundational skills at equipment, manual equipment and automated equipment only enhance your career. Yeah, that's a, a good point that I'd like to add. Uh, you know, if you take trigonometry as a class because you have to take it, it is what it is. But if you take trigonometry after you've worked in a shop or you've worked in manufacturing, you can easily translate or you can easily imagine what it is that you're learning. And I think that's uh, that helps maybe students also don't have too many um, abstract skills, you know, that, that they could understand it as well as the other kids. But for some reason, they can't connect to something real. That allows them to see those objects, you know, a representation of something that they know. And then that allows them to, to go through the material. Because a lot of those classes, you know, I took them, they are quite abstract. And, and they are not related to something that people have experienced. And there are some people that are good at learning that material, some that are not. I think having that background of working, and like you said, you know, uh, earlier working on cars or working on anything, it allows you to imagine problems in three dimensions, and it allows you to to say, well, I'm going to pass that class because I need that class to do this, and I understand what that is, as opposed to being something very abstract, and you're not sure really what it is that you're trying to do. So I think that that, that really helps. One of my favorite memories was uh, standing in the back of a room filled with high school students that were hearing a presentation from industry, and they were doing some examples uh, up on uh, up on the screen about how they calculated different uh, things in uh, in game programming, and uh, I, I remember overhearing one student turning to the his his buddy next to him and saying, "Shoot, I should have paid more attention in math." <laughs> and it just was uh, an example uh, to me that uh, 
you can learn math in the abstract, I suppose, but it becomes, uh, you know, much, much more concrete and real when you're trying to accomplish something that is meaningful to you in terms of a problem solving kind of thing. I'm going to pivot a little bit here because you're both, both of you have been in the California Community College system for uh, some time, and, um, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, uh, and so don't feel completely obligated to answer this if, I, if I'm touching a nerve somehow, or, or feel free to completely comment on it. But I, I oftentimes wonder, with my entire career being in K-12, but having been uh, in higher ed as a student through, through some graduate programs, I oftentimes wonder, what is the biggest misunderstanding of the California Community College system as a member of higher ed? Because it seems like the, the vision and mission is a little bit different, and maybe you can help me understand or bring this into context a bit better, a bit different than K-12 or uh, the university. I, I work part-time at Cal Poly Pomona, so I have an experience you know, as an instructor in more of a somewhat research institute. And uh, the main difference is that the person that teaches at a community college usually has a background that is not research-based as opposed to a university, right? So the university, your instructor was very good as a student and got their PhD and did their research. And teaching maybe wasn't that important in the evaluation. So, so you end up with a teacher that explains it maybe well, maybe not so well. Whereas at the community college, because we are more of a, a teaching organization, one, somebody who really is passionate for research isn't really going to apply here. And then somebody, and second, somebody who's not interested in teaching is probably not going to apply here either. So we end up with faculty that are, I think, a little more responsive to the needs of the students. And I think that makes a big difference. Uh, the experience I can share is the one of my two daughters who came here at Cerritos College and two classes here. Uh, you know, I personally wanted them to experience that because I know there's a really, there's some really, really good instructors here. And when they went to the UC, both of them, they told me that the explanation that they got here were far better and helped them along the way uh, in their studies. So I think there is a misconception that somehow you're getting some kind of a discount education at a community college. But I would say that's quite the opposite. Yeah, you get instructors that are more passionate and that are more passionate in you succeeding as a student. Whereas at the university, you're more of a number. And, you know, if you do well, you do well, but, but you don't get that extra care, I would say, that makes a big difference. So that's my feedback on that. Okay. Kelly, your perspective on it? Yeah, I'm going to agree with Nick wholeheartedly and add just a few more things. The community college is more applied rather than theoretical in nature. And as such, when you're in a university and you learn how to do something, in the community college, you also build that something rather than just look at it at, with example use cases. And in the doing it, you're able to see how it works and how it doesn't work. So as a student, if you want to work in a field, you're generally going to start in an entry-level position, go into a supervisorial or frontline position. Then you're going to find whatever in the company you like, whether that be marketing or R&D or supply chain operations, etc. If you do that without having done the hands-on application piece, then 
you don't really have a sense of what can go wrong, um, a, a sense of project management, a sense of really understanding what goes into meeting quarter, quarterly results. What you understand is how to read a balance sheet, but you don't know how to get the line going to where you're actually going to hit your mark. And so the other thing is that just talking from a cost perspective, if I am want to go into a top UC, I have to have above a 4.0 GPA. If I go into a community college and I get that applied perspective and I earn a 2.8, in some cases a 3.0 GPA and complete a pathway, then I can look at whatever, with one or two exceptions, I can look at whatever UC I want and they're going to take me. So if I say to myself, and it's generally a parent that is saying this, you know, rather than go to the community college, we would like you to go directly to a university. Well, if you have even a 3.5 or a 3.6 GPA as a high school student, you're going to make a decision on which university is going to accept you based on that and sometimes on another score. Whereas if you go into the community college, you get that hands-on perspective, you finish your first two years, you get all of this application process, then basically you sit down and select which among several universities you want to go to because you have a guaranteed admittance um, to those. And so at the end of the day, parents need to know that if you have a 3.0 to a 3.9 GPA student, a community college is going to leapfrog your child into a top university, not keep your child from a top university. And that child is going to get this guaranteed admittance with all of that hands-on knowledge. And lastly, if that child struggles in English or struggles in mathematics or struggles in anthropology or speech class, there's going to be about 30 or 40 at most students in that class versus 500 students in that freshman comp class. So the universities where I'm most familiar, let's say, for example, University of California at Santa Cruz, they still see a 30% dropout rate for freshmen, even those freshmen that can get into that university. Whereas the first two years in a community college offers your child the opportunity to change majors, to do a little bit more career exploration, to see what it is that they like. And it is not going to slow them down because they're going to be able to get into pretty much whatever state university, CSU, or UC that they're interested in with, you know, one or two exceptions with impacted programs and things like that. I really appreciate the focus on on the student experience. Uh, and yeah, here on the Future Groove podcast, uh, we like to really get down to the nuts and bolts of how, how things work. And so I don't know how much of a touchy subject this might be, but from the K-12 perspective, Oftentimes we see our students go off and then they wander around the community college campus for two or three years taking a variety of unrelated electives without much direction. I, from your perspective on the community college side, what, what is all of that about and, and are there some measures that are being taken in order to make sure that, uh, that students are able to really zero in and focus on what they would be good at, what their passions are, and, and what their life purpose uh, might be discovered there. Well, I think what you described was true maybe 15 years ago. Um, we've made a lot of efforts. You know, the, the first big effort, I think, was with the ADTs, you know, the degrees for transfer. Uh, so if somebody wants to do economics, um, they're going to do the classes on the ADT transfer path. 
And they're not going to take this esoteric economics class that maybe the instructor created uh, because they're passionate about the subject, but that does not necessarily transfer into a specific class at UC, right? I think that's one of the big advantage of the ADTs is that they don't wander around in classes, even within their own topic, their own field, their own major, that are not a direct, you know, transfer um, to the university. So I think that's the first uh, main thing that the Kujikaj has done that has really improved uh, the outcome for those students that their goal is to transfer. And then the second part, uh, a little more recent, has been the college promise you know, that basically keeps them on track with their English and their math. Because one of the things we noticed before is that if they're interested in economics and they're interested in commercial music, if they're interested in biology, they would take all those classes related to their major, but they would tend to leave not as much the English, but really the math, you know, unless they had to take the math as a prerequisite to one of their classes, they would avoid it and put it at the end. The promise basically takes care of that because they have to do it in a sequence. And I think that's also another way for students to stay focused and get their degree and transfer if that's what they're interested to do. So I think we've made a lot of progress on those two topics. Uh, a lot of night students, I find, are still exploring because they already have a job. They already have a career. Most of them already have a family. And I think for them, it's more like a second chance. You know, they're going back to college maybe because they have a little more time, a little bit of income. And I think for those, you know, they're still exploration. And at least that's my personal opinion. I'm not saying it's based on data. But for the younger population, I think they're on track now. Kelly, do you have some thoughts on this issue about chasing electives? Is that, for the most part, do you think gone uh, in the community college system? Yeah, two, two things I want to mention. First of all, every student in any private or public university graduates with general education, which is 24 units. And the beauty of the community college system is there are enough of those classes that students can complete their general ed. Once their general ed is complete, it's basically sealed for your lifetime. You can go to any private or public university and you have completed your general education sequence. And that's sometimes tough to do in the bigger universities because they are not focused on offering as many sections of those classes because a university considers its sweet spot to be junior and senior year and master's one and master's two rather than the freshman and sophomore years. Also, a lot of people don't realize, Nick mentioned the ATD, um, the associate transfer degrees, and that is the, or associate degrees for transfers. I always get the two mixed up, ATV and ADT because of uh, other another organization in the community college system, but you transfer at 60 units now. So people who add 90 units in the community college system, et cetera, they're really looking for two years, 15 units, 15 units, 15 units, 15 units. Um, and as long as you complete that sequence, then you're, you're moving on. The beauty of the electives is not to pile up electives, but it is to do some exploration. And the community colleges encourage what they call meta majors, which is, hey, are you interested kind of in um, technology, or are you interested in English and social sciences? Or are you interested interested in math and science? And counselors will help you to elect select electives in those areas. So the one kind of too blunt thing that I want to say is that a lot of the overage of units has in past years had to do with 
parents informed by when they went to college 18 years earlier, what they wish they would have studied, what their friends are studied, what their most successful neighbor studied, and then they find it's not a fit for their kids. And so well-intended parenting is as much a part of taking too many exploratory electives as is the system. But I'm with Nick and that it is for the last 15 years and particularly for the last five years, that is really in the past and not the perspective of the community college. All students put together an ed plan where they declare kind of what it is that they're interested in. They follow that ed plan and the community college is moving students into the CSU and UC system as quickly as as the students are prepared. Really, really good points. Uh, focus on the present and the present needs rather than focusing on something that was, you know, uh, true uh, 10 or 15 years ago, which leads me to, to the next topic or really the next question. And that is currently, you know, today, December 2nd, 2022, which is when this recording is being made, what are the California issues in, in the workforce? What is it that we should be really attending to in terms of uh, the opportunities, but also the needs? I know I mentioned this a little bit earlier in responding to the cal current California economy, but I'd like to kind of revisit this in coming back and saying, what are those California needs? And, you know, how loud is the alarm sounding in terms of supplying an educated workforce pipeline to fill positions that are empty. It seems like, Nick, every time we talk, uh, you and I are talking about empty seats, jobs that can't be filled because there's not, uh, there's not a pipeline of uh, individuals that have been prepared in order to uh, enter those areas. So let's talk about that a little bit. What are the California needs currently? So uh, again, you know, in Southern California, th there's really a high demand for the fields that you know, that I work with on my campus, which is related to the trades. You know, there's no shortage of jobs for that. I think for a parent or for a student, you know, that's going to look into those um, careers, and, and even if, if they are interested in general education, it's very important nowadays to have a core competency with some kind of a software program. You know, whether it's in Again, commercial music, CAD design, machining, it doesn't really matter what field you're in. Today, you really have to have really good competency with one software. And what we see today is the need to get like an industry certification, you know, whether it's a Microsoft specialist certification, an A plus certification, a certified SolidWorks certification. It almost really doesn't matter which one, but it shows to the employer that the person persevered, you know, went through the test spent hours on it on their own time, as opposed to just doing the minimum that's required to get the grade. And I think to get that job, that, that really makes a big difference, you know, uh, whether it's from a CT perspective or any kind of other, other job. So I think that's the one thing that I wanted to mention, you know, that industry certification. And then in terms of getting a job, you know, anybody that has gone through a CTE program typically will get a job you know, very easily. The other ones that didn't do that, you know, they are competing amongst a lot of people with very similar skills. So at that point, they kind of have to work on how they sell themselves, you know, how they present themselves. What is it that they can bring to the employer? Things that are very important to the employer are coming on time, coming in on time every day. I know that may sound like a basic, but it is not that obvious. You know, I hear a lot of employers saying, 
or if they just show up on time, they have the right attitude and they listen to what I do and they do corrective action. That's all I need. And of course, it's in a moment of frustration that they'll say that. But those are still tips, you know, that, that we want to give to the youngsters, which is those basic skills. Uh, you really need to have that to be successful in the workforce. Yeah, thank you. Kelly, I'm going to send this one uh, your direction, and that is, can you talk a little bit about the importance of the articulation between K-12 and California Community College system? And uh, there's been a big push in the last couple of years for students to earn college credit while they are still in high school, and so hence we see opportunities for uh, dual enrollment. A couple of comments there, and then we'll shift back to actual pathways that uh, we have found to be successful. So dual enrollment is when a student is enrolled at both Cerritos College and at Downey Unified High School, and the class takes place at Downey Unified High School. So the person who's teaching the class would either be a Cerritos College instructor or a Cerritos College qualified part-time instructor or adjunct instructor who also teaches at the high school. And the students receive dual transcripts. So they receive um, a grade as a high school student, and then they also see, receive a transcripted grade um, at Cerritos College. And so that is really the same as attending Cerritos College. And that affords that students the benefits of the student support services, the library, um, the activities, et cetera, as a college student. So that is the ideal enrollment because it is advantageous for the college and for the high school. And the data show that when a student graduates from high school and already has X number of college units, they are much more likely to complete college. And so it really is beneficial, especially for students who, pardon me, John, are thinking, I really don't want to be in high school. I want to be done with high school. Well, you are. You're a college student um, yeah. at the high school, at the high school campus, right? And yeah. then articulation is a little bit different. So in articulation, basically, we reverse engineer what Cerritos College is doing and mirror their curriculum in both cases. But in articulation, that student is a high school student and is taking the class. And then when they transfer um, to Cerritos College, then on their transcript, um, they do not have to take those courses. And typically after a certain number of units, then um, those original courses will be transcripted um, or noted toward their graduation uh, from Cerritos College as well. So there's compliance differences between the two. But in reality, uh, what happens is that the students in the high school get a taste of college a taste of really working on more complex projects, doing more teamwork, working with machinery that they and equipment that they would use in industry. So instead of thinking that that's really for students who are ready to go to college, uh, what we're finding is that's perfect for students who are tired of high school. And um, they are working on things that they're going to do as a career and they're upskilling. A super important element of that is that the community colleges are not trying to put people in entry-level positions. While a student is attending community college, let's say in a machine shop or in an automotive shop, they might be in an entry-level position for a short time. But when it comes to other fields such as culinary and some, in some cases other elements of advanced manufacturing, we're expecting more and more of those fields to be automated. And as such, the community college is taking a lot of time in their curriculum, which we're reverse engineering, so that the job might be 
managing and maintaining the equipment for those things that are automated rather than doing the work of a job that's soon to be automated. And so we really want to make sure that students are upskilled and have these more professional level skills and professional level certification while they attend high school through articulation and through dual enrollment. Because another thing that hasn't been done for 15 years is that the community colleges are not just trying to give somebody a degree and a diploma and then send them out to start their very first entry-level position. The idea is that they will be finishing up the equivalent of an entry-level position and going into more, much more of a skilled position or semi-skilled position um, as they finish up at the community college. And that by participating in articulation and dual enrollment, they'll be much better prepared uh, to complete and move up within an, a job in an organization. Nick, you recently visited uh, on an articulation walkthrough with your faculty at the, uh, the new welding uh, program and pathway at uh, one of our high schools in, in the Downey Unified School District. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you saw and uh, how the conversation went with your faculty and some of the benefits that you see as opportunities for students, uh, both our students and becoming your students uh, eventually through this articulation process. Yes, yeah, so one thing that we were impressed is by the quality of the equipment that you guys had uh, organized for your students and also the quality of the instructors that you had selected. You know, welding is a specific where you, know, you have to have industry certifications to actually be able to weld if you're going to be a high-earning welder. You know, welding has a different strata of job where some kind of like at the bottom where maybe you don't need a certification, but you're not going to make a lot of money. But the higher level job in welding require that certification. So you have to have the instructor that has those higher certifications like, like they do in your district. And you have to have the equipment on which you can practice to get those certifications. And I think that's the key, you know. It's not, you guys did not create a welding program that's just, well, we're going to learn the basics of welding and we'll get that entry-level position, kind of like what Kelly was saying a few minutes ago. It's, I mean, that's good. That's already good. You know, somebody gets a job, that is good. But you guys went above and beyond and made sure that it dovetails into what we're doing, where we are basically training the high-end welders. So what this is going to allow those students to do is to basically go much faster and get better at it and get their certification so that they can get a better job. So I really think that those are the type of uh, initiative that, that are really going to help the people in the community achieve those higher wages much faster and, and in a way more focused than people that are discovering those jobs kind of like through a random event. You know, their neighbor bought a new truck and they go, hey, you know, how oh, can you afford that big truck? And it's like, well, I'm a welder and I work a lot of overtime. I mean, that's nice too that somebody will get into the trade that way. But when it's intentional, the way you guys have designed it, I think it's much better. Right. I believe that we're working on an articulation for plastics and, uh, and composites, which is a, a program, a fairly new program, I think, or a, a redesigned, reimagined program at Cerritos College. And so uh, what are the hopes and, and outcomes that we're looking for there? Well, I think one of the first things that come to my mind is people's misunderstanding of plastics. And certainly with all of the talk about a circular economy and sustainability, we need to continue looking at plastics today. And so as many of the topics we've discussed, 
we want to look at plastics going forward and we want to look at plastics with kind of the environmental movement. Young people are keen and rightly so and strong opinioned on uh, on the environmental movement. There are great jobs in plastics and Nick can speak to that much better than I can. But at Cerritos College with this partnership, we're really able to understand at the high school level what industry is doing, which informs what Cerritos College is doing. And then we are able to understand Cerritos College because Nick tells us kind of what they're offering and why, and we're able to embed that into Downing High School so that when, and Warren High School, so that when we're looking at creating great job opportunities and pathways for students to transfer to Cerritos College, that we're looking at what's happening now in an industry and what's happening forward in an industry rather than um, just kind of being dependent. So, so that relationship with Cerritos College and Cerritos's relationship with industry keeps all of us kind of accountable, current, and relevant, and able to pivot and adapt quickly as the plastic industry, which is undergoing change, changes. So I know Nick can speak a lot better than I can about kind of those changes. Well, I think one uh, important aspect of all this is the design and the experimentation, right? So we teach our student, you know, the advanced software. In this case, it's SolidWorks, you know, specialized with molding. Uh, it's specialized with uh, composite design. And teaching it on a computer is good, but actually making prototypes and trying hands-on is much better. And that's kind of what we do at Cerritos. The large plastics factory of history are obviously not here in Southern California, but there are a lot of design jobs in California. And if you hear about cars, a lot of cars are designed in California. And a lot of foreign cars from foreign manufacturers are actually designed in California. Lots of California design studio. Kind of the same thing with computer equipment. You know, if you look at your computer, your keyboard, your mouse, your screen, uh, a lot of those are made with plastics. And the design often originate from uh, companies here in the, in Southern California. So that's kind of what we're offering. You know, we're offering the liaison between the design aspect and the production aspect. We don't focus as much on the full-fledged production because that's not going to happen here in Southern California. But the skills that they're going to learn and making prototypes and saying, oh, if I made this this area wider, or if I made this area rounder, it would provide for a better experience for the user. And, and if they do that, then if they learn those skills, then they are very marketable. There, there are a lot of companies that are doing that here. I remember reading an article about the iPhone and the iPod, you know, when they were first created in Cupertino uh, with Jonathan Eve, who's like the one, the main designer that they had at Apple. And I remember seeing this article, I think it was in Forbes or Business Week or something like that. And there was a picture of Steve Jobs, Jonathan, and a couple of other people. And in the background were two uh, CNC machines. Because, you know, when they make the prototypes for all those designs, they have to machine them right there. And, and those are the type of skills that, that we teach our students. You know? And do, there's future on that. Even if the student says, well, you know, I'm more interested in medical type of equipment and they end up getting a biology degree. Well, again, when we're talking about a surgeon, a lot of the tools that they're going to use in that operating room have been designed and, and have been created with different type of materials, a lot of them plastics. So, so that's kind of like the, the aspect of, of, the, of the chain, if you want, of design to product that we'd like to focus on the arteritis. 
Well, our time is almost uh, almost up, but I, I would like to really ask, is there a student success story that you can think of, not necessarily by name, but uh, you know, a student that you can picture in your memory uh, that has gone through one of these pathways and really found uh, a life passion and a life purpose as a result of participating in, uh, in these uh, preparation programs for uh, you know, contributing to uh, an industry sector. So, so I, I'd like to actually propose two, you know, one student from a project the way articulation agreement that we've had for many years with Downey that went to a top-notch engineering school and ended up being an engineer. I think one of the main advantages of taking those project lead the way classes and getting that credit from Cerritos in their, is in their application. Yeah, it really puts them ahead of all other students. And like Kelly said earlier, uh -huh. it shows that they know how to you know, sustain the effort and it shows that they are responsible. But it also shows them what's at the end of the tunnel, you know, because when you go to engineering school, the first three years are brutal. You know, the type <laughs> of classes you take <laughs> are not fun. Yeah. But yeah. if you can kind of see what's at the end of the tunnel and what you do more in your senior year, you're more likely to stick with those classes and not drop out like uh, Kelly was mentioning earlier. So that's one type of student success. The other type of student success are students that come here and that are lost. You know, they're not sure uh, what they want to do. And, and I've had many of those in my classes, uh, several of them for, for your neck of the wood over there that eventually end up getting a great job. And one in particular that I can think of that started his own business. And what he said is, you know, when I started my own business, it was just myself, a couch, and a CNC machine. I slept on the couch. I ate on the couch. I wrote my invoices on the couch. And I was working on the machine nonstop. And, and that particular person has about four machines, and he has, you know, two employees working part-time for him. So I think that's another type of success, which is more like an entrepreneurship success, where that's possible. You know, once you know a trade, you can very easily become an entrepreneur. And if you don't like working for somebody and you like working for yourself, that's another option. So, so those are examples of people I can think of right now. Oh, that's great. I like to always end our episode with the question of what is your future groove when you think about the future and you think about the next couple of years and the uh, contributions that uh, you as an education uh, professional can contribute in that particular area, what would your future groove be uh, in terms of uh, a success story in the next few years? So I, I can start. And, you know, one of the big initiatives we have here on our campus right now is our learning and career pathways. So basically, I think Kelly mentioned something like that. You know, we have those meta majors. And my hope is that by exposing more students to those meta majors and the ones from the trades, is that that we can show that you know there is there are job opportunities for doing that, and it's not because you're taking those classes that somehow you're tracked into it, and that's the end of it. Now, on the other, it's actually the opposite. It's going to enrich your life, and it's going to make it easier for you to understand those more you know abstract classes and make it and, and make and basically be successful. So working on that aspect here on this campus is kind of like what I'm looking at for the next couple of years, making sure more people are exposed to this. That's great. Kelly, final words? Sure. For me, it's about students on the edge, and that would be uh, immigrant students or students with uh, learning challenges. That would be students who are coming back to school 
um, whether they be high school students who left or 55-year-old students who are looking for a career change, and helping find ways or alternative paths for those students to um, really thrive, kind of sidestepping or working through different paths to their goals rather than only the traditional um, pathways to their goals. And at Downey Unified School District, we're working on, for example, a different type of mathematics, uh, advanced CTE mathematics, which will be a third year math, which is difficult for a lot of students to complete. And it's going to be based on work-based learning, which Nick talked about, which is you're making things and solving problems and making things and get so confident and comfortable in what it is that you're making that the math seems logical and obvious rather than uh, challenging. And students will still receive their, you know, UC articulation. They'll be able to use that math as they go to Cerritos College and other programs like that, where we can really make sure that the, the students who are not in the top 10% grade point averages, whether that be at Cerritos College or whether that be at Downey Unified School District, where those students are really respected and honored for all of the talent, creativity, and ideas that they bring to the table and that we find a way to really shepherd and steward them um, through to success. Well, Nick and Kelly, uh, thank you so much for our conversation today here on Future Groove. Thank you for uh, the partnership, the strong partnership that we have in working with you and preparing an educated workforce pipeline uh, and supporting our students and pursuing their dreams. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, John. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the Future Groove podcast. You can find the show notes for this and other episodes on the Future Groove website by connecting to futuregroove.com. You'll also find links to organizations and resources referenced in today's conversation. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us. Our email address is john at futuregroove.com. We are especially grateful for our executive producer, Kelly Cooper, and our pre- and post-production engineer and studio master, Nicholas Chamberlain, at EveryWord Media. Until next time, I'm John Harris wishing you all the best in finding your future groove.